Politics Considered, the show in which we discuss some things political. I'm your host, Bill Gallagher. Welcome to this emergency podcast of Politics Considered with breaking news from Israel. It is Thursday evening in Israel, and this is day three of an intense and deadly war. I'm very humbled and grateful to have as a special guest today, Mr. Moshe Chertoff, joining us from Israel. Mr. Chertoff is former vice chair for media and policy of Democrats abroad Israel and Palestinian territories. He co-hosts Israel's Slippery Slope podcast. He is a co-founder of a new social democratic and Zionist movement and was active in the Meretz political party. Welcome to the program, Moshe. I know this is a very difficult time for you to say the least, and I greatly appreciate you taking the time to join me. Thank you for having me, Bill. It's an honor to be with you as usual. Well, first, how are you and your friends and family doing? Are they safe? Do you know anybody who's been injured? Yeah, this is a small country. We're 34 times smaller in population than the United States. So that just gives you an idea of how small we are, which means that almost everybody has a connection a couple ways down the line at worst. You know so many people. So my family is fine. We're scattered throughout the country. Everybody's fine. Uh, nobody has been hit, but there have been uh, missiles that landed within a kilometer of uh, my son, uh, daughter-in-law, and granddaughter's house, not far from Jerusalem today. There were about four that hit, but they're okay. Mm. There has been a cross-border commando attack about uh, 10 and a half miles from here on the Lebanese border, which is very disturbing. And uh, there are missiles falling all over the, the center of the country and in Jerusalem. And I've, uh, yeah. It's, it's not an easy situation, but everybody's okay. I do, unfortunately, have friends who have still not heard from their daughter, who lived on one of those uh, kibbutzim along the, the Gaza fence. Saturday morning, her husband got called to come quickly and bring his gun to be in the to take part with, in the, uh, the resistance, fighting back at the attack of uh, tens of Hamas fighters who were inside their kibbutz already. And he's part of the emergency response team. And what we understand is, and I don't have proof of that, none of us have proof of that yet, is the second, oh, he, he went out the door and was never heard of again. Oh my God. So we don't know what's happening with him. His wife is the daughter of, uh, uh, the first daughter of our group of Americans who came to live here in 1973 and four. And someone here that is her parents talked to her at 9.30 in the morning on Saturday morning. At 11.30, a friend talked to her, and that's the last we've heard of her. And here we are, almost 8 o'clock in the evening on Monday. That was Saturday. Nobody mm-hmm. knows. We haven't gotten any word from the Army. I have to tell you that the government and the Army have been totally, totally incompetent. And this is just such a gross insult to everything a government should be about. And this is the army that is considered to be the strongest uh, in the Middle East and one of the strongest in the world with the best intelligence and the best uh, of, of almost everything. Yeah, and that's totally failed. Moshe, that seems to be kind of a paradox because I thought Prime Minister Netanyahu and his party were going to be tougher and more aggressive. So we'll talk about mm-hmm. why you think that happened. Okay. Uh, so, but first, okay. So, Moshe, what do you think happened two days ago to ignite this war um, that, you know, why Hamas, why did they do it on Saturday? Was it a long time coming? Was there a specific event that triggered it? Okay, so there was no real event that triggered it. But what you have is, unfortunately, extremists on both sides 
looking for the opportunity to butt the other in the face. And so what you have is the Hamas who are constantly looking for a reason to try and show that they represent the Palestinian people more than the Palestinian Authority and more than any other group who there are other groups involved in whatever. And we happen to have the most extreme government in the history of Israel in power right now. The minister in charge of what used to be internal security, and now he changed it to national security because it's nat- he's a nationalist. He decided it's time to take a, a, a walk on the Temple Mount because it, because it is one of our Temple Mount is also known as Haram al-Sharif in Arabic, uh, because it was the festival of Sukkot, which is one of the major fest- major holidays of the country, of the Jewish people. And people used to come to the temple back then, 2,000 years ago, and with offerings. So mm-hmm. there is a law in Israel that prohibits any Jews from actually praying on the Temple Mount. But he's a minister, and he thinks he can get away with it. And everybody would tell him, you know, that's really a provocation. But he would say, I'm a Jew, I have the right to do that. This is my my homeland. This Temple Mount belongs to us, etc. And all of the chest pounding that you would normally hear from extreme nationalists. And so the Hamas took that as their indication for saying, yes, we've seen there's been a terrible things happening on the Temple Mount. And we also found out that Israel has plans to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the uh, Dome of the Rock which is ridiculous because I've never heard of that. And I'm sure that if these guys had it, they would have notified everybody and say, here, we have these plans because they're trying to prove to them. They're trying to prove to the right wing in Israel that they're the real representatives of Israel. Everybody else is just a pushover. So there was no real trigger, but both sides found a way to make it explode and they succeeded. And all of a sudden on Saturday morning with no warning, and this, this is a festival that starts a week that one day, and then a week later, there's the second festival, which is actually the celebration of uh, us having received the Torah on Mount Sinai. I'm actually and, uh, familiar with it. And my mother grew up in the Catskills in an Orthodox village, so I, I understand. I, I know about the huts and the palms. And all that's that. right. We we eat outside. I'm not going to go into the whole religious. Okay. In any case, what happened was that the Hamas noticed. I think that we were not on our guard. They noticed that there wasn't a lot of uh, army action on the border, and they thought, hmm, Saturday morning is a Shabbat, which also goes for non-religious people. It's a, our day of rest of the week. We only usually have one one day a week, and there are a few people also have two two weekend days. And then in addition to that, it's also a, ho- it's a holiday for the religious. So this is like a perfect time to catch everybody sleeping. So at 6.30 in the morning, there was a huge barrage of missiles that came into Israel. And as they were coming in, the Hamas uh, fighters on in Toyota uh, pickups and on motorcycles, they blew open the gates. They brought in bulldozers to pull the gates totally wide open, and they started flowing in. And along with them, with tens of, of uh, Hamas fighters, also came many Gazans who came in to loot and do whatever. It was horrific. So it was very well orchestrated. And it's possible that they also noticed that there was a nature festival going on in the proximity of the fence next to a kibbutz also. There were 3,000 people having fun all day and all night, drinking and smoking and dancing and whatever. And all of a sudden they started hearing missiles and booms going off. And they thought, oh, okay, we've seen that before. And all of a sudden, after having a minute or two of listening to bullets, uh, uh, missiles going off in the air and being hit by our uh, uh, Iron Dome defenses, all of a sudden they're surrounded by Hamas uh, fighters who are shooting into the crowd and trying to grab people. 
Utter terror. Pure terror. Now, how, why do I use the word terror? When a person in Gaza is, is fighting to protect his house or his street or his family from attack from anybody, you could call that a freedom fighter because he doesn't really even have his own country. There's no real army. Mm -hmm. But when this capability crosses a border to move in and attack thousands of individuals who are not armed and not soldiers, not in uniform, this is terror. And it didn't stop there. They went into the they then went into the kibbutzim and the villages around uh, Gaza. Twenty two communities were overtaken and controlled by the Hamas in the first couple hours of the attack. When you go from door to door, bang on the door, don't get an answer, try to kick it in, don't succeed, fire an RPG, a rocket propelled grenade at the house and it either busts the door open or breaks the wall and sets the whole house on fire, and you stand there waiting for people to come running out and then shoot them when they come out. Or when you pound your way into a, into a house and take a woman with her young children hostage and drag them out. Or when you take a, an 85-year-old woman and give her an M16 to hold and smile for the camera and then take her back into Gaza, that's terror. If you were aiming at military targets, that could be considered a legitimate military resistance. I mean, I know that there are hostages reported and U.S. hostages now, but it, I mean, I heard that women were raped. Is that true? You, yes. You... Unfortunately, what is horrible about this war, these yeah. they, they were so organized and orchestrated that this was a purely army type military attack. And they have people who are willing to go and sacrifice themselves for their goals. So basically Hamas there wasn't really any provocation by Israel. It was just they took advantage of uh, Shabbat, Sukkot, and, uh, you know, maybe they felt that Israelis had their guard down. And so it was just... Um, and by know. the way, we did. This minister of the of national security, his name is Itamar Ben-Gvir, and Netanyahu needed his few, his small, uh, not so small, his faction, his party, to become part of the government, most radical elements and racist elements in Israeli society. And they come from the settlements and they represent the settlements. So these guys have kind of carte blanche uh, permission to go into the West Bank in, in villages and rabble rouse. And I'll, I'll take it even a step further. There were Jewish pogroms in Arab villages on the West Bank. According to what the army's role is, the army must protect the Jews no matter what. It's the police are the ones who can only arrest Israeli citizens on the West Bank. But the army went in there to make sure that the settlers don't get attacked. And so it looks to everybody else like soldiers are permitting all of this to happen. And it's with the permission of the IDF and the government of Israel that a guy was killed. Uh, uh, a large portion of the this little uh, village called Hawara, which is on the main north-south road in the West Bank, uh, is overtaken. So just a few days ago, his people, uh, after there was a there was a, a terrorist attack on the main street in that little town, they decided it's time to go into town and just take the town over. They sat down and all the army around them. They closed the entire community. They closed the, the main road that goes from north to south. And uh, then when they were done, they just got up and started a rock throwing spree. And the army still has to protect them. It's, it's insane. So what you ended up having is 22 battalions of the IDF were no longer on the border. They were no longer protecting the country from external attack or enemies. And that's how we were caught with our pants down. 
Yeah, and my understanding is, well, I know that Iran funds Hezbollah in Lebanon. Are they also funding Hamas? Did they were these pickup trucks funded by Iran or other countries? They're or? funded through. Uh, they get funded both through by Iran and by uh, Qatar. Qatar is the are the main people bringing in really official uh, suitcases of dollars into into Gaza and supposedly for humanitarian purposes. But many people have been saying, "What humanitarian? Get out of here!" and you know they do have a humanitarian role in the in the uh, Gaza Strip, but now they are an army. They're not anymore just a small group of terror units. This is an official army. This was as dangerous an onslaught as we have ever faced. Right. So I heard. So this. Okay. I just want to make a distinction. There is Hamas, Hezbollah, the PLO is more diplomatic, I guess, and a lot of Palestinians say none of these organizations speak for them or represent them. So it's not necessarily Palestinian people. So I just want to make a distinction between Hamas and Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. I had read that Hezbollah might be might have more resources and be more not dangerous. Might. They have 10 they, times, they many times more missiles than Hamas does. And they have, uh, they've been working on, with the Iranians, on getting guided guidance systems for their missiles. And that's why Israel has been attacking in Syria when they're trying to transport uh, this technology and these missiles from Iran into uh, Lebanon because the Hezbollah is ready to use them. And I think that what we saw with uh, somewhere around 2,500 missiles got fired into Israel lately in the last couple of days. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. We will be seeing many, many times more missiles coming in from the north if the Hezbollah decides to join the party. Well, okay. Well, I just read in the press that Israel uh, already struck Hezbollah post in Lebanon, and then Hezbollah hit some Israeli posts. So, I mean, okay, I don't. So that started. That started okay. with the Hezbollah, or they say it wasn't them, but some of the people supporters of Hezbollah apparently fired rockets or fired mortars and rockets onto an Israeli base, which is not really in Israel. It's right between Lebanon and. Uh, Mount Hermon, which is the highest point in the mountains next to Israel. It's in the occupied Syrian Golan Heights. And Israel uh, fired back with artillery, and that was that. And we hope that that would be the end of that, because we don't want to drag them into another front, another war. And then today, about 12 miles from where I'm speaking to you from, there was a a commando unit got, got across the fence and went into a village on the Israeli side of the Lebanese border. And it happened to be a a Bedouin village, a village of Bedouin who are also, uh, many of them serve in the IDF. My friend there I talked to while there were still terrorists walking around there in their village, he thinks that might've been the reason they attacked them and and not another place because of their loyalty to Israel and fighting in the IDF. So Israel retaliated by blowing out the nearest uh, reconnaissance tower. They have a tower of, uh, let's say about five stories high, that just overlooks into Israel. And then they can tell their uh, teams where to go, where not to go, and 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 direct them. So we hit that. Now, we're hoping that's going to be the end of that. But then another a missile was fired into Israel, and it landed in open uh, territory, not within any uh, community. And we're still trying to hold back and not really retaliate as we used to. We would usually not suffer that kind of an attack without really retaliating and letting them know, no, we're not going to take this. 
Right now, we have to take it because we know the consequences would be horrifically worse if we really got into this. So do Hezbollah and Hamas get along or are they totally separate? And they're mostly independent, but they, they this coordinate. Has been my word. Yeah, this has been my worry for many years is that one day if they coordinate their activities, we're going to be up Schitt's Creek without, without a, a paddle. The, the Hamas was actually voted in to take over Gaza. And that was a, it was declared a fair election. Unfortunately, preceding the election, they threw a lot of their opponents off the roofs of buildings and tortured people and whatever, but the elections were fair. So you have to respect them, but we never respected that. We would never respect that. And unfortunately, when they have offered, the Hamas has offered to actually negotiate with Israel, Israel has usually given them the, the, the other, you know, cold shoulder. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to actually negotiate with a terror organization. On the other hand, they're the, they're the group that runs the entire area that we control on the east, west, east, north, and on the west is the Mediterranean. We control all those three sides and also the air. Egypt controls their southern border. These people are penned in two million Palestinians who are dependent on us for their water, for their electricity, for everything that needs to come into the, the, the Gaza Strip, including when we allow the Qatari money to come in. And so our right-wingers are always angry at the fact that we let the Qatari money come in. And it's always been Bibi Netanyahu doing it, but he understands that if he doesn't do that, the place is going to explode. If you look at the number of members of this government who are, are, are made up from Netanyahu's Likud party and from the ultra-Orthodox parties and from the ultra-nationalists, almost none of them have served in the IDF. They have no experience. They have no knowledge. They have no dust under their fingernails from the from the battlefields and they're sending our kids to fight their wars they're causing them and we have to go fight uh, uh and when we were protesting their uh uh fascistic uh, uh judicial onslaught of the uh you know 90 some odd uh, laws that they wanted to pass to take more and more away of our democracy they would call our soldiers who are, they would call our soldiers traitors because these soldiers and air force pilots would say, I cannot serve in an army that is ruled by a person who's becoming a dictator and does not make decisions for the country. He's making decisions for himself to remain in power. And therefore they said, as of this point, here is my my badge, here is my number, here's my gun. I'm not taking part. We're talking about people who are very high ups and mm -hmm. we were called traitors. But guess what? As soon as we found out that there was an attack, all of them went back to serve. Everybody, every right. last one, all the pilots and everybody. In fact, a friend of mine who was a major general, he put his uniform on that morning and drove right. down to the South and said, what can I do? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because the pro-democracy sort of critics of Netanyahu who have been protesting such as yourself are patriots and are defending Israel. And they just had a disagreement about the judiciary and the overreach and all of that. So I'm glad that you, you mentioned that um, mm -hmm. because you can be for peace and also stand up for your country. So this is a geo. That's not only can, I think that's a must. Yeah. <laughs> So this is now a geopolitical situation. And before I ask you about other countries, I want to talk about the United States. There are now confirmed U.S. casualties and hostages, although the U.S. is still trying to 
um, figure out the hostage situation. I think Israel has said that there are U.S. hostages. Hours after the attack, U.S. President Joe Biden promised, quote, rock solid and unwavering support for Israel, end quote. You know, as as you and I know, and most people know, the U.S. provides about $3 billion in annual military aid to Israel and has just ordered the movement of U.S. military ships and aircraft closer to Israel. So what should the U.S. be doing in your view? Okay, I think the number is closer to $4 billion a year, military aid to Israel. It's it's not supposed to be used for offense purposes, but only for defense purposes. And we do have our defense expenditures, and they're very high. And they protected us. Can you imagine if those 2,500 missiles that came from Gaza, if we were not protected by Iron Dome, we'd have thousands of Israelis dead. Just clarify for our audience the Iron Dome and the U.S. funds that. Right. Uh, The U.S. has funded most of it. Iron Dome is the uh, technology that Israel developed, which is a missile system that as soon as a rocket is fired, uh, the radar detects it and sends up a quick and small missile that tracks it and actually goes up and bites it in midair and takes it out. And when, uh, as soon as a missile is fired, we get notification on our cell phones that a missile is headed our way, we have to go into a safe place. And in the meantime, the missile goes up and tries to take them out. And they're very, very effective. That doesn't mean you can uh, be lackadaisical about it. I've already been in my bomb shelter one time today. Uh, I know that my kids have been in the bomb shelters a couple times today and, and, Half of our country, like over 4 million people have been running to bomb shelters or just there were people who stayed in their bomb shelter on Saturday. Do most people people have bomb shelters in their house or do they have one in the neighborhood or how does it work? The closer you are to the border, uh, the more likelihood there is of you're having one in your house or having one in your neighborhood. You have, one your, you have one in your house, right? I built a house two years ago, and the law says that if you add even one square meter, three square feet to a building, you have to build on, and also in addition to that, a safe room, which I have a room which is made of, uh, I'd say, about 30 inches thick of concrete on all four sides with a window that has a uh, steel closing so that uh, shrapnel can't get in. I have a very thick about about a four inch thick door that I closed behind me to protect me from uh, everything. Yeah, this is the real thing. And I've got to tell you, I've been living here since 1974 and I've never felt safer when under attack by missiles than I do now. But it's pretty scary because people down South with, that were under these b- constant barrages of missiles, they stayed in those rooms for not just hours and hours. They were there for like more than a day without going out. I mean, you got to take everything in there with you. There's, you got to have your water, your medicine, your, you take a bucket for your toilet needs. We're talking heavy duty stuff, but there are in many places still bomb shelters. The problem is that now bomb, the, these are not coming from Syria, the missiles. They're coming from right across the border. So if missiles are fired at my kibbutz in the north from Lebanon, we have a half a minute to get inside and close the door, close the window, get everything ready and hold tight. I got a notification. It sounded like an air raid uh, uh, screaming at me, a, a siren screaming at me. It wasn't for me. It was I put also my son's uh, village not far from Jerusalem into that application. So I'll know if he's being attacked or if my ki- a kid somewhere else is being attacked. And I got this thing. I started running to the safe room when I then realized it doesn't me. There's no sirens going off. It's my son who has incoming missiles. So I can find out wherever I want, I can get notification ahead of time. That's been saving, I would imagine, thousands of lives.
mm-hmm. everybody says, you know, what do you want? They don't have F-16s and they don't have big tanks and they don't have, yeah. But with an F-16, you have the ability to actually look at a, a, a and know about, have, have, in, have uh, intelligence about a place where they are either firing missiles or where they have headquarters and are operating from. And you can pinpoint your missile. Here, they shoot in the air and anyone who gets killed. We had 10 Bedouins, Israeli citizen Bedouins killed in the south of Israel from incoming missiles. And there are foreign workers out in the fields that get killed. This is not something, it's not really a a tool of war. It's a tool of terror. And it's horrific that half of a country has to be pinned down for however long this is going to take. And it's horrible. Obviously, it's much better than they have in Gaza. They don't have anything in Gaza. Well, speak. I was going to ask you, okay, let's just, okay, so about Gaza. I was going to ask you, before we talk about Gaza, are the shops around you closed and things like that? Up in the north, everything is still operating. Once you get beyond Tel Aviv and into the south of Israel, there will be less and less things operating. In the south, in the city that's right up against the fence, almost everything's closed. People are without food. And once uh, the water system gets hit by a rocket, they're without water and they're without electricity. And it's pretty scary stuff down there. People in in that one town called Zderot are really crying and screaming about the fact that they can't go out shopping and get food necessary after having been at home, being having been caught off guard for two days, three days. They still you can't get milk. They can't get whatever. They can't get uh, baby food. And the Israeli government, I mean, the Israeli military can't relocate them or does that take some time? Most people don't want to be relocated. Most people have a local pride of saying, I'm not leaving. Well, I meant just temporarily, but I, I get your point. Yeah. yeah, most people don't even want to be temporarily moved. Now, everyone in those kibbutzim along the fence have been relocated down to uh, the south, and they've been further south, that is. And uh, those that are left, I mean, I got to tell you, almost every kibbutz along the border fence has had 20 to 30% of its members murdered. Oh, my God. That's astounding. Our you official number of dead is now 900. That's what but I was going to ask. You. So, right. Okay. The true number is much greater, and we know it's going to go way over 1,000. There are going to be like a train line of constant funerals. You have places that, you know, 15, 20 people were killed. We won't know probably for another month or two how many of our friends, family, and others who are up till now unaccounted for, we won't know if they're dead in Israel, and we can't find them because from that uh, music festival, people went running wherever they could and are still hiding under brush because they're scared of somebody to come that would come and find them. So even if you come looking for them, they're scared that you might be Hamas. There are many, there are over 130 people who have been taken into Gaza. Now, how do you know what your total number is? Do you know if those people in Gaza are still alive or not? I know that it took years to find one Israeli soldier who was kidnapped back into Gaza. It took years to be able to negotiate his release, and we had to pay by releasing many Palestinians who had blood on their hands. So what you're saying and, is the, the death count of Israel is probably over a 1,000. Do we have a night? And so Hamas is holding hostages on the other side? We don't side. know how many. It's not only okay. Hamas. It's, it's three organizations, Hamas, the Islamic Jihad, and another small splinter organization. Each of them wants to have their uh, Israeli uh, prisoners uh, for their own. 
and they are spread out all across Gaza, so we won't be able to find them so easily. They're not going to be in one place like in Entebbe at the airport when we went to Uganda to free our hostages. We're going to have to go underground. They have said that they've taken everyone underground, and they are protected, they're safe, but we don't know. We've seen horror videos of how our prisoners there, citizens, not, not soldiers, were treated. Horrible. And then the soldiers, you can only imagine. Yeah, Moshe, usually a hostage connotes the idea that maybe there will right. be, you know, some negotiation. But it it sounds right. like Israel is not going to negotiate for the release of terrorists, or might they? Up until now, most people would never have done it. Most people objected even when we got this one young soldier back. They say, we we feel for him and for his family but the amount of terrorists that we're releasing to get him back will cost us in more and more lives in the future. So they've objected to it. But now there isn't almost anyone in the country who doesn't know somebody or knows somebody who knows somebody who has someone missing. I've got people from the kibbutzim all around me who still have friends of my, of my children who are still missing, and we don't know. The only hope that a parent has is if someone spots their child in a in a video being taken into custody or paraded around Gaza, and they can actually recognize the person by their tattoos or their hair or whatever, and after that you don't know. Right, right after yeah. that, they you don't know what happened to them, and they're not the type who are going to go reporting to the United Nations or to the World Red Cross or anybody else about what the state of their prisoners are. This happens here. The Biden administration has has gotten a lot of prisoners back home, and even with Brittany Griner. Whoever it is, there is usually the opposition party, the Republicans criticize it. But in my view is bring them home, do what you have to do, Absolutely. release some low level, you know, criminal that is, you know, That's there's right. no point. So I'm ho- and even more so, and even more yeah. so, I have to say, one of the mottos of the IDF has always been, we don't leave anybody behind. Okay. Well, that's not the case. We have five, until a week ago, we had five Israelis in Gaza who were being held. Those five have been sitting there for years. Nobody's brought them back. There hasn't been the negotiation. I mean, the parents here are are in, they're just beyond frustration. They're infuriated. And the, 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 the feeling has gotten stronger and stronger that, wait a second, if you're going to take my children and have them go out and endanger their lives, and you're not going to do what it takes to bring them home, right? Yeah. guess what? I'm not going to send any more children. And many of my friends will not send any more children. And now it's even more amplified. That that feeling is even more amplified by the fact that those who are in this extreme government, they don't serve in the IDF. The the, the, the ultra-Orthodox have a, a a free pass. They have a free pass. They don't get they don't get in, uh, inducted. Right. So the people sending the kids into war are not making any personal sacrifices in that regard, basically, in terms of they're not going into war basically is what you're saying uh no not going into war they're not even forget war they're not even standing on the border just to control traffic they're not doing anything they're not serving alternative service in hospitals they're not doing anything and not only that they don't even pay the taxes because most of them study torah which i'm not against but it cannot be the alternative to national service or military service i'm Mm -hmm. a pacifist i don't want to continually have an army that's going to be on on guard and always uh, ready for for uh fighting and whatever and by the way we're a great army when it comes to attacking but we're pretty lousy when it comes to defending 
I mean, we know the planet been, operation think, very well. I think that's been a surprise to yeah. It was a surprise yeah. to me, frankly. The whole world, especially to Israelis. We got our, like I said, we got our, uh, we got caught with our pants down in October 1973. And everybody assumed that's never going to happen again. Well, so went that theory. Mm -hmm. I've heard that in the news that Israel is cutting off all like water, everything, all yep. supplies to Gaza. And then, but my understanding is that the Palestinians there have nowhere to go because the borders that's of right. other countries are closed off. So, and, and Israel's saying, get the hell out, but where, where, where can they go? I mean, that's right. That's right. So the story is this. Up until now, we on the left and peace in peace organizations, I'm a, I'm a member of the steering committee of the Forum of Israeli Peace NGOs. We're constantly reminding the governments that of the two million people who live in Gaza, there's a small percentage who are actually Islamic Jihad or uh, Hamas fighters. And you cannot have collective, collective punishment against another 1.9 something million people. And so you have to continue the flow of water in there. You have to you have to provide them with the diesel fuel to create electricity, et cetera, et cetera. Now, after what we unfortunately witnessed on Saturday, when I think about it, it seems like you know months ago, it was only three days ago. Now people say, well, guess what? If you're not going to be humanistic, if you're not going to have any morals that are normal human morals and operate by uh, international conventions and not do not not perpetrate war crimes. Guess what? We're done playing that game too. We're not going to give you water. We're not going to give you. So we're. I think that the leaders are banking on the fact that the people will uprise in Gaza and throw the Hamas out. And what we are probably going to try to do is bust them down to uh, ground level and enable that kind of thing. Now I don't. You know, there's one there's one thing that's called uh, regime change. There's another thing when you have a whole war. And I unfortunately believe there will be probably thousands of people killed in Gaza. And out of those thousands, there will probably be a small percentage that will actually be Hamas, uh, either fighters or top level personnel. It's a so, horrible thing. This is so complicated. So what you're and I, I'm glad you're on because there's nuance here. So what you're saying is that Israel is hoping that the innocent Palestinians who want nothing to do with Hamas will rise up against Hamas? Will We've Israel been saying that for years. Yeah. But will Israel help those people? And how do you know who's who? And and how are they going to do that if they don't have water and electricity? And I, I don't know. We're, just, I think that our leaders are, are hoping and planning on the situation, the humanitarian situation becoming so unacceptable and so impossible for the average Gazan that they're banking on these people saying it's all your fault. If you didn't do this crazy attack, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. They do have nowhere to go. The port that they had, we closed because they were using it for bringing in armaments and uh, materials to create missiles. The airport that we built for them back in the days of Oslo, we destroyed it entirely. So they don't have an airport to get out. They don't have a, a port to, to uh, ship out with. And they don't have any any way of leaving Gaza. Egypt holds the border on the south. We Egypt. hold it on the east and on the north, and we hold the Mediterranean side on the west, and we hold the air above. No one's allowed in or out. It's like someone so there, said it's like living in a big fishbowl. There are countries who have condemned Hamas, but they want to send humanitarian aid, like food, into that area. So are you saying they can't? Will Egypt let them go in to provide that? 
I have no idea. Egypt has also taken more or less our side of how to handle Hamas because Hamas had relations with the Islamic Jihad that was rising up against the Egyptian government and killing thousands of Egyptians. And something tells me they're not going to do that unless the Hamas makes major concessions. And I can't see that happening. It is possible. And it so, is possible that, uh, let's say, the Kuwaitis will uh, have a convoy come all the way from I don't know where or just load everything up at the airport at Ben Gurion in Israel and want to drive through into Gaza. And we might have to allow them to do that from pressure from the uh, European community or I don't know where. So what about um, Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia has been the buzzword for the last two or three months. I've been working on the Saudi Arabian, uh, personally, working on the uh, with the uh, form of Israeli peace NGOs. We've been working together with a Muslim member of Knesset and planning to do our part to pr promote the Saudi plan, which, by the way, has existed since 2002. But their leader, their king, has never really pushed it any further than saying, here's our plan. It's been approved by the entire Arab League. Please, let's talk about this. And as Israel looked at it and said, no, uh-uh, this ain't going to happen. That was in 2002. Now we have MBS, Mohammed bin Silman, who says, yeah, let's let's make this move forward. I've got an idea. So he had, he's he together with Biden and, and many people who support this, including myself, have concocted a plan where it would be a win, 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 win situation, meaning the Saudis will be getting F-35s from um, the United States. They will be getting all sorts of special technology, military technology. They'll be getting atomic energy technology from the United States. They will be, therefore, becoming a NATO-like force that will be made up of the United States, Israel and Saudi Arabia as a front against the Iranians, which mm -hmm. will also include the uh, United Arab Emirates and pretty much everybody except uh, the um, the Qatari, and which all of a sudden, that's a game changer. It's no longer, hmm, what is going to happen if Israel has to attack Iran because Iran will have a nuclear weapon? Not that we don't. We've got you know some 200 and something nuclear weapons, but we have always banked on that being the the savior of any onslaught against Israel. We're gonna if we ever get down to the last few minutes, we're gonna say stop now or your country's gone. If Iran gets a nuclear weapon, the Saudis are also targeted. So is so is Israel. So are the Emirates and everybody. Now we're gonna be fighting together. So okay. people are so saying this is, is gonna be preventing a war with Iran. Right. So Saudi Arabia is key. What is this agreement called that you're referring to? It's uh, Mohammed bin Salman's plan of this joint group which will also include the Palestinians. One of the keys of the original plan was that the Saudis, who we have been courting for a few years already and trying to normalize relations with the Saudis, the Saudis have said, that would be wonderful. Just end your conflict with the Palestinians, please. And now they've come up finally with a plan saying, okay, here's the story. This is what you're going to have to, Israel, you're going to have to give to the Palestinians. You're going to have to make major concessions here. You can't make a Palestinian state. Even if you pulled out to the very last inch, you can't make a Palestine. What you can do is get out of their faces and let them uh, determine their own destiny. And that's his plan. And that includes the United States, therefore, also having this strategic alliance 
and keeping the Chinese out of the Middle East. Because if you don't give them these planes and whatever, guess where they're going to get it from Saudi, the, the Saudis? They're going to get it from China. China's but just how, waiting for the opportunity, in which case right, the United how, States loses everything. Right, this global chess game. But how likely exactly. is it that Israel would sign on to this MBS agreement in the middle right. of this war? Unlikely. So therefore, therefore the, the, the guy who's going to spoil the party would probably be Netanyahu. And he okay. would not be able to get away with approving it as long as he has these radical elements in his government. But that's where hopefully President Biden comes in and says, Bibi, make a choice. You got your crazies in your government or you're going to continue being prime minister without them and everybody else is going to support you. The entire center of Israeli politics will support you. Obviously, all of the left will support you. So here you go. You can do it. You don't need them anymore. You'll get them out of, off of, out of your hair. Seems so, unlikely that Biden would do that right now because of the pressure to support Israel during the fog of war, right? I mean, this is like... But when you look at it, it's also the PA versus Hamas. So here you're supporting the PA, which mm -hmm. is who opposes the Hamas, the Palestinian Authority, which is made up yes. of the mainly the PLO and other moderate uh, Palestinian leaders. So these are the people who we would have, we should have negotiated with for years, and Netanyahu made it totally impossible. He didn't have to refuse; he just made totally uh, 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 unacceptable preconditions to meeting with them. So you know, there's just no point. But anyway, um, if you get the, and they are falling apart. They're led by a, a, an 82-year-old man who hasn't held elections. I don't remember if it's in 14 or 15 years he stayed in power uh, illegitimately. But at least he's been doing security cooperation and coordination with Israel, which has together prevented him from being overthrown by the Hamas and prevented Israel from having to deal with the Hamas in ruling the West Bank. So when we talk about conflicts, you know, it's not a, it's not a checkerboard anymore. It's about a five-tier chess game, this whole thing. Now, if and when MBS comes forward, what he comes forward with is the entire Arab world except Syria and Lebanon, and the entire Muslim world except the Iranians and possibly the um, Afghans. But other what, than about that, it, what about the largest Muslim population of Indonesia? They're, they're yes, right now. Yes, they would come with it. They would come with it because this was approved by, uh, it, it's absolutely, when you think about the economic and, and peacetime possibilities of this actually happening, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Can you mm -hmm. imagine, I, I live 20-minute drive from Haifa, our northern, our biggest city in the north. I can get on, I will be able to get on a train in Haifa, and I will be able to take it down to the bottom of Israel near Eilat or Aqaba, go across the border into Jordan, go across the next border into Saudi Arabia, drive all the way across, uh, not drive, uh, uh, be on a train that goes all the way across the north of Saudi Arabia and all the way to the uh, Europe, the uh, United em uh, Emirates, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and all of those countries. They'll be on a train ride from here. So Moshe, it seems, I mean, maybe I'm cynical, but I don't see the, the United States or Israel signing on to this uh, Saudi Arabian plan right now, at least. So Biden what, needs Biden needs a signing ceremony on the on the front lawn, you know. Well, he has pressure. There's a lot of pressure in the United States to not do anything with Saudi Arabia. Uh, to now, not this has changed the game. This whole attack has changed the game. Now yeah. Republicans will be able to get behind any kind of a solution that will guarantee Israel's security, and many of them represent uh, the most powerful elements that support Israel in the Republican Party. So we don't know. This could be all the way around a win-win-win-win situation. 
the well, and Biden the is good. At, Biden is the crisis management president. He's good at yeah. crisis. It's better than if Trump were president. You know, that's yeah. an understatement. So, and here he is. Here he is uh, giving them on their plate uh, uh, support of Israel and another eight billion dollars of, uh, if we need it, of uh, support for uh, military for this for fighting back at, uh, against the Hamas. And he's working on an agreement that will, for long term, end the conflict, which will bring in the entire world into friendship with Israel. They will all be getting Israeli high tech. We will be selling them military equipment. Everybody around is going to be happy except those of us uh, peace activists who are saying, oh, MBS, I'm not exactly sure. I don't really like the guy. What can I tell you? Uh, taking apart bodies is not exactly on our menu. And and also, by the way, as Tom said in the uh, New York Times, he said to don't Friedman, give... Tom Friedman? Or... Yeah, Thomas Friedman, who used to play baseball on my kibbutz when he was a reporter <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, in, I in read Israel. his columns, yeah. Yes, he told uh, the president, don't make this uh, deal while Netanyahu is still in power. You're giving him a gift. And I got to tell you, I am still in appreciation of Menachem Begin, who I totally opposed. But after I opposed him and after uh, he sent us to war in Lebanon, I went I went into Beirut. He made peace with the largest military power in the entire Arab world, Egypt. And um, ever since then, until today, I have not done one day of, of uh, reserve duty on the Egyptian border. I haven't lost any of my friends in fighting against the Egyptian army. So guess what? If Bibi can make this deal, if he succeeds in, in, in getting the support he needs, I will kiss his feet and I will also kiss the feet of MBS because there are certain things that in the world you have to look the other way if you actually want to progress for your people, for your country, for the region, and for the world. This will change world politics if this thing works out. In the United States... There are politicians on the far right who don't want to fund Ukraine, um, but they're already calling for boots on the ground, U.S. boots on the ground in Israel. Well, I mean, they yes. are. I mean, you know, yes, it's yes, ridiculous. I know. And, and you mentioned you, Americans here that are in the conflict, that are dead, that are, yeah. are there are American citizens. Please remember that I'm also a dual citizen. I'm a, I'm a citizen of the United States. I was vice chair of uh, Democrats abroad in Israel which is considered uh, Democrats abroad around the world is considered like another state. So we actually have a political function and we get to vote in the, in the uh, uh, Democratic National Convention. Uh, and there are many people here who are born to American parents and are American citizens. And it's not like they were being singled out or the, the Hamas was looking for American flags and, and people speaking right. English. Well, I'm glad you said that. I'm, I'm, yes. Let's just clarify this because... Yes. You know, the media in the United States is doing the best they can. I'm not going to criticize them because it's happening so fast. But mm -hmm. it isn't like, so to be clear, United States citizens were not targeted because the United States, there just happened to be a lot of Americans there, like yourself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't remember the exact number, but just for an example, 52 of us from North America came to live on my kibbutz. And I have five children, and then I have a grand granddaughter. And uh, uh, now I have it. That's new. And everybody has children and grandchildren. Guess what? There's a lot of Americans out there. We've been coming yeah, over for I, many years and we're allowed dual citizenship. Yeah, I have, so a cousin in Tel Aviv. I have a cousin in Tel Aviv. I have a lot of friends in Israel. So this is not uncommon. What is the likelihood that uh, I don't think the U.S. is going to Biden is not going to do this, hopefully. But what is the likelihood of other countries having boots on the ground there? Probably zero. OK, it right. would be against the principles of, of Israelis. <laughs> There are still many right wing, in particular Israelis, who say, "Who do those Americans think they are? They're going to tell us that we should uh, be able to develop our Iron Dome strategy. They're not going to vote for it. It has to actually. They have to 
be convinced. No, they didn't have to be convinced. Uh, the Biden government approved Iron Dome back in the uh, in the approval period back then, but they first took it out of the major package so that it would be more sure to pass. Israelis then opened fire on the Biden administration for taking it out. No, it was passed. And some of the only people who opposed it were Republicans, by the way. But uh, what we're talking Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, aside from this uh, Saudi Arabian plan, which I just don't think is going to happen in the next few days, or no, no, Netanyahu Absolutely. is saying this is going to be a long war. I think you're saying this is going to be a long war. Okay. What can other country? Is there anything to just put like a ceasefire or anything to just stop the bloodshed that other countries can do right now? Do you think anything practical? Most Israelis will probably, especially now after Saturday, will tell you that you cannot trust the Hamas to uphold any ceasefire or any agreement. Now, if you ask the Palestinian Authority, nobody can trust the Israelis because we don't hold up on our side of agreements either. So it depends on who your source is and who you're listening to, etc. But I doubt that there will be a ceasefire. My only hope is, and I was started working on that today with uh, uh, this member of Knesset that I'm working with, I said, how about if we try to convince MBS to introduce negotiations for retrieving all Israelis that are being held in Gaza? Now, he said, yeah, but they don't listen to the Saudis. The, the, the Hamas does not listen to the Saudis. They're listening to the Iranians, the, the opponents of the Saudis. So there's little likelihood of him actually having that leverage. On the other hand, I think that it, in time, and now is not the time, uh, while we're still fighting... And as we're speaking, there are still terrorists in kibbutzim and in cities around Israel and popping out of the bushes and killing people or trying to kill people along the way. I am hoping that even down the line, we should propose this idea and it will only expose the Hamas as the Iranian backed and supported organization that it is, which most of the world just don't. Just to clarify, propose the idea of Saudi Arabia going of a Saudi Arabian uh, brokered agreement to allow uh, Palestinian prisoners out of Israeli prisons and all hostages in Israel released, including bodies, unfortunately, of dead Israelis. Yes, every single so, last one of them. So it sounds. So you're saying you don't think Hamas would necessarily agree to it? Would Israel agree to it? I think that we have very little bargaining space here. They've got citizens of ours. They've got uh, men, soldiers, they've got men, women, and children, two and three-year-old children, some of them whose parents don't exist anymore. And from what I heard from somebody who saw a video, I I can't verify this, one of those little children was crying for her mother, which who just isn't around anymore. And so the Hamas person told uh, the kids who were all standing around watching, they said, okay, beat them up. And they beat up this little kid. So how long are you going to be able to watch this kind of stuff? So, so we're, what I'm, we're at odds here with what to do. So what I'm getting from you is that the most most Israeli people would support doing what it takes to bring to get the hostages out. Is that the posture of the the Israeli government right now too, or is it no, moving? It, right now, the only posture of the government, and correctly so, is to clear the entire state of Israel from Gazans who've come across as terrorists as as uh, militants they didn't come for a visit you have to make sure that after every behind every single bush under every single stone there are no longer any uh, fighters still left in israel that's the first objective and the immediate and maybe even in parallel objective is to find every single israeli who was killed and is still within israel but we haven't found them yet 
And we're still finding more and more bodies. Somebody came out of that field where that um, festival was, that music festival. Yesterday, the people who were in charge of of taking care of people who die in Israel, it's a religious organization, they brought out 256 people out of the fields. Dead Israelis. So, all right. So it sounds like this is going to go on for a long time and other countries are going to get involved. And I'd asked you the best case for, for, you know, stopping this, at least a ceasefire. And you said, you know, Saudi Arabia brokering something, but it's unlikely that Hamas will agree to that. At some time, both sides will. It's, the okay. question is how long that might take. Will it be exactly. months of people yeah. dying in the meantime? The, I think that uh, another one of the objectives of the IDF right now is to make it impossible for the Gazans to allow it to continue. So there will either be pressure by the average uh, Gazan or enough of the leaders of Hamas will be uh, and the Islamic Jihad will be taken out, so to speak, excuse the expression, killed, murdered, assassinated, whatever you want to call it. Now we're talking about war. This isn't just assassinations out in the middle of nowhere, you know, just for no reason. We know this guy's dangerous, so let's kill him. This is war, absolute war. So I, mean, I don't see it happening quickly, but it's going to have to end at some point. And the problem, yeah, the problem I see is just there's so many damn players here yep. that it's not like, you know, one government, right. you know, can just go talk to the other government. Like That's even right. if Russia and Ukraine wanted to come to something, there's just too, I don't That's see right. that happening. But, but here you've got, my God, you've got Hezbollah. And, yeah, even if uh, we're even the Palestinian Authority. They're a, a so-called government, even though they don't have a country. But at least you know who you're dealing with here. And there is and there is division in Israel. Yes. Another thing that must be stated, mm-hmm. and I talked about this with that member of Knesset uh, earlier today, is that despite everything that's happening and despite the calls of the Hamas to Israeli Muslims to rise up and uh, go out and murder and cause havoc within Israel, none of them have. There has not been one single incident of an Israeli Arab citizen killing or terrifying or doing anything other than the usual. Unfortunately, we have a very large problem of of violence within the Arab community within Israel, but that's a whole other discussion for another time. But it hasn't happened. In the last two days, it hasn't happened. If anybody wanted to really get at us so they could light up forest fires all across the country and run away. And that would be the, you know, I mean, there's so many things that they could do. They don't even have to kill people. They can just cause havoc, uh, even make it even worse for people. I mean, right, today I watched a funeral of some of the soldiers that were killed in the beginning. It was taking place in Jerusalem. By the way, he was an American citizen who they were burying. And while they were in the middle of the funeral, they had to get down on their on the ground and lay down, and the graves protected them as there were incoming barrages of missiles hitting Jerusalem. It's just I mean, how horrific can you? Yeah, he was a lone yeah, soldier. So, he lived here without his parents, without any family. Yeah, so we're not going to end on a positive note because this is just there's. I don't see anything positive. I mean, it is going to get worse before it gets better. And I certainly hope that anytime you want to come back on and give us updates. I would appreciate it. Do you have anything else to add before yes. we add anything that yes. people of the United States need to know? Yes. I'm going to change your ending. I'm going to try to put something positive in this. Good. <laughs> what, what came out of World War II? Do the Germans still fight the French? No. They have come away from it with a united idea of, we don't love you, but on the other hand, we're not going to have another world war with you. We've already had two. Mm-hmm. Somewhere down the line, There is going to have to be a ceasefire. 
And somewhere down the line, there are going to have to be negotiations. And somewhere down the line, I hope that we will put a total end to the conflict because before this war, a majority of the Israeli center, including right center, have realized that Netanyahu has his alternative impetus as to why he must remain in power and not make any agreements with anybody in particular. He doesn't want to be a pushover. He wants to remain in power. He will do anything he needs to be able to stay in power and out of jail. So I am being optimistic in the fact that somewhere down the line, we are going to have to sit down, negotiate, and come to an end of the conflict. And there are many, many people in Israel who are working toward that. It will take a long time before they get back onto that that horse, because the anger and the uh, frustration and the horrible things that we're seeing as I'm talking to you, there's a funeral going on on TV right now. It will. This will take months of healing and maybe years for many, many people. But somewhere down the line, this is going to hopefully end on a positive note. I will say the one last thing is that if people ask, what can I do to help, is in social media, please be aware of and protect against one side or a supporter of one side or another, trying to prove how inhumane the other side is and how better we are and how more we have been the victims, and how more we have... No, stop that kind of talk. That's already happening. Unfortunately, it happened in a a WhatsApp group of our forum of of, uh, peace organizations. We actually have a a Palestinian woman who said, oh, now you're beginning to understand what what we've been going through for 57 years? And I said, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. I, in telling you all of my suffering and of my family and of friends and whatever, was not to try to make us look either better or whatever. I'm just telling you what we're going through. And it was a kind of a now you get it moment on her part. And I'm and I said, remember, we're talking in the context of friends here, of people who are working toward peace. Excuse me, madam. I have been right. protesting against the, the chokehold on, on Gaza. I have been against the occupation. I've been demonstrating. I have in military, I've refused to serve in certain places. You're not barking up the right tree. So if you want to remain friends with us, and if you want to sound like a person who's looking for peace, let's stop that kind of discussion right. when it this begins is not and the, tell people, let's remain friends down the line. This is not the time for whataboutism. That's right. And, and there is there are no clean hands. Are there any resources, Moshe, that people in the United States who want peace, any, any websites or... Yep. There are many peace organizations out there. You can look for it on the internet. We have a website and we also have a Facebook page. It's called the Forum of Israeli Peace NGOs. We have Israeli Palestinians with us. We have Palestinians who actually live on the West Bank with us. There are discussion groups uh, called Israelis and Palestinians for, as in the number, peace. And those are open weekly discussions of people who live in Gaza, the West Bank, Israel, and even in Europe and the United States who take part in weekly discussions between us, all in the spirit of peace. And when we say peace, we have to be careful. What we're talking about is a just and uh, a peaceful end to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, not just saying, oh, we're going to have peace, let's go dance together at Debkor or Horror. No, we're talking about the real thing. Sort of detente, you know. Yep. The real thing, okay. where you're going to be able to come and pray with us, and we're going to be able to go and pray with our in, at our holy places where they are and whatever. Yeah, normal. Well, I hope you'll come back on anytime you have any updates, and it and I 
so appreciative. It is with a heavy heart that I thank you so much for coming on. And, you know, our thoughts are with um, the people in the area. And Yeah, with all people in the area. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. So much. I appreciate it. Take care. Be well. We welcome your feedback. Please follow the show on Twitter at PoliticsCons. That wraps up this podcast. Until next time, be kind to yourself and others.